0: Lord, thank you so much for our freedom. Lord, we thank you for our country. We thank you for the brave men and women who have laid it all down for our freedom. And God, we thank you that you gave the pioneers of this country the vision, Lord, that you brought them back to your word. So, Lord, that they would, they would understand how government should be. Lord, forgive us for those things when we manipulate, when we let our sinfulness in. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be agents of change within our country, change to move move towards freedom and not away from it. And we just thank you so much for our nation's birthday tomorrow. And uh, Lord God, you are good to us. And we do ask, Lord, that you would continue to bless this nation. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, first of all, Wednesday night dinner this week. Make sure to sign up for it. Um, so, that's that. There is Wednesday night dinner, right? There's fight night? Yeah, there is. Potluck. It's potluck this week. So, yeah, make sure to bring something. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> and then, and then uh, unlocking the mysteries of Genesis, that's uh, the Monday night study is on hold for this week. Obviously, it's the 4th of July. So uh, Frank has asked that you'd go and blow something up. Uh, I added those words. Uh, But anyway, so uh, no study this Monday night, but they'll resume the following week. And then uh, if you uh, are at the supermarket, pick up a couple of extra cans of something, some spaghetti or whatever, and please bring them and drop them off for our food pantry. We have a basket in the back. And man, I'll tell you, since we opened up that food pantry, we've been using it and giving food out to people. And if you're in a place where you need some food from the food pantry, feel free to come and ask the church office, they'll put together a bag for you. And uh, it's been a wonderful blessing, it's really neat. It's kind of a, it feels just like the early church, they just gave and, and it was distributed among those who need and, and that's kind of what's been happening. So, uh, so if you're at the supermarket and you have a few extra bucks to buy something for the food pantry, please do so. All right, and then that's that. Okay, so we have a really special thing tonight, event, I should call it, not a thing. Uh, and uh, I want to ask Ashley and Brian Weisner to come on up and please bring Emmett with you. <laughs> and of course, Brian and Ashley, they moved to Texas uh, last September and we, uh, we prayed for them and said goodbye and, and uh, they decided to move home. No, just kidding, I wish. <laughs> So they're they're doing well, and um, and uh, Ashley came back, and there's a baby. So they, they've asked uh, that we can dedicate Emmett tonight, and so we want to we want to do that. We want to just bring him before the Lord and ask for the Lord's blessing to be upon this little little man. And uh, first, a couple of things. Let me just share a little bit about dedication. You know, we we recognize that God does make a covenant with us. And we know that covenant is personal. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also know that that blessing, that covenant, flows over into our families. And we know that the blessing comes with obedience. And so in our families, as you and Brian are obedient to the Lord, that blessing is going to flow on to Emmett, and he'll, he'll benefit from your obedience. And you'll be teaching him and instructing him in the way that he should go. So we know that uh, Hannah de- devoted... Her child of the Lord, and we see all through the Old Testament where they bring children before the Lord, and they ask for his blessing, and of course, in the New Testament, we know Jesus was brought before the Lord and, and dedicated in the temple, so we want to just pray for Emmett, so if I may, I'm going to take Emmett from you, and let me ask you a quick question. I've got to keep him asleep. It's okay. All right, we have to whisper now. Ashley and Brian... You're going to commit to walking with the Lord yourselves and raising this child in a godly home and godly environment. Is that? Yeah, okay. All right. Emmett Franklin Wisner. Lord God, we ask your blessing on this little child. We pray that you'd make him a powerful man, unmovable by the world. Lord, let him have understanding and wisdom. And Lord, I pray that this this young man, this young, soon-to-be young man, this little child would grow up to be a great force for your kingdom. Lord, you bless him. You'd make him strong. And Lord, that he would lead people towards you. And God, we ask for your protection from the enemy upon him. We pray, Lord, that he'd be wise, looking to you first, And we want to pray for your blessing on their whole household. We pray for the Wisner household, Lord, that they would be obedient servants to you. Looking to you, Lord, being wise, I pray that you'd continue to give Brian wisdom. Lord, not allowing things into the house that don't belong. And same with Ashley, Lord, we ask for your wisdom to be given to them. Lord, help them not to be lazy in following you, but dedicated. And setting the example for their children, and especially Emmett Franklin, we ask this in your name, Jesus Christ, we give this child to you. Amen. Yes. (laughs) This is him. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, hi. (laughs) He just opened his eyes and he was like, huh? (laughs) So, by the way, Dalton saw me at the party yesterday and uh, Brian's like, hey, Dalton, do you recognize him? And Dalton's like, nope. (laughs) They're <laughs> like, oh. So, well, God bless you guys. And, and uh, Brian and Ashley also need prayers. They're looking for a home church in, in Houston, out in their area. So they're still having trouble finding that home church. So please uh, make sure to pray for them. Uh, they'll be around for two weeks or a week. You'll be a week. We'll and you're here two weeks. So you guys get to see them and hang out with them. So God bless you guys. All right. And uh, Corey has a certificate for you guys yeah all right Um, we don't baptize infants because we I personally believe that baptism is for the believer there's groups that do infant baptism but I think it's better we dedicate and then teach and uh, and uh, then when they're ready to believe they get baptized all right we're in Genesis chapter 2 tonight let me open up all my stuff here Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to be talking about three things tonight in this chapter. And um, the three things we're going to be sub- hitting on tonight are purpose, marriage, and America. No, I'm just, sorry, I'm just kidding. It's purpose, marriage, and freedom. And, uh, and these are the, these are the three, three themes that I see in this chapter that I want to make sure we touch on tonight. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and read the Word of God in chapter 2. We'll start reading. We're going to start at verse, um, verse 4. So we've kind of already done the first three verses. Verse 4, chapter 2. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of any tree of the garden, uh, but... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, And brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. May God has his blessing in the reading of his word. Lord, we do ask that you bless this time. Open up your word to us. Give us understanding. Lord, may we learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis 2 is interesting. And and there's been many times where people have uh, started to criticize the Bible because of Genesis 2. Genesis 2 has kind of become a little bit of contention so to speak, for the atheists. They try to say that chapter two contradicts chapter one, so therefore you can't trust the Bible. And I wanna say it doesn't contradict at all chapter one. Chapter one, we have the general overview of creation. We have seven days of creation, God creating within the seventh day, and we know that man created on the sixth day. Now chapter two, we, we actually read through verse three when we were finishing up chapter one, and I, and I really think that, Chapter 1 should end in chapter 2, verse 3. That's probably where it should end. We know that the chapters and verses are not inspired by God. These were added later to help us out in finding verses. But chapter 4 kind of gives us the answer to, to this controversy between chapter 2 because chapter, four, chapter 1 talks about the creation of man and it talks about the, the, the creation of, of the plants coming before man and now in chapter 2 we have man and no bush or trees or anything like that. So chapter four, 2 verse 4 says, these are the generations of the heaven and the earth. Now this heading comes out 11 times in the book of Genesis and, and this is where we're starting to get to our story. This is becoming the focus of the story because God wants us to understand that these are, this is where our story goes and, and we're gonna continue seeing that through the book of Genesis when the story changes directions or begins to follow one particular person and that line you're going to get a these are the generations of noah these are the generations of joseph these are the generations of so on so you'll you'll continue we'll continue seeing this heading and here the author of genesis is helping us say okay now we're going to focus on man we're going to focus on mankind and where this story goes so the 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 first thing we learn here in genesis chapter 2 is that that these are the generations and and of the land, and what is the land? Well, I don't think it's the entire land. Land in Hebrew can mean my front yard land. It can mean the whole earth land. I mean, it's not eretz like uh, the earth, but land can mean a a broad broad word or a very narrow word. So, I mean, I could be out in the forest and pick up some dirt and go, this is good land, and not be talking about my backyard, which is terrible land. So, it's just clay. So, Land is a, a broad word in Hebrew, and I think this is really focusing now on the garden that God is planting and establishing for man, the place where man is going to live. That's what, that, that's what God is focusing on here. And what we see here is as God creates him and this idea of molding him up from the dust of the earth and we, we talked about man created in God's image in the beginning but it gives a little more detail, a little more information about God's creation of man that out of the dust of the earth he's created man and amazingly enough we know that the elements that we're made out of the elements of our biological form fit right there within, within what we find within the earth. And, and of course, if you've ever been to a funeral, from the dust this man was given, to the dust he shall return. So we all recognize that. It's also an interesting fact that as the Human Genome Project has been advancing and as they've been studying the human genes, what they found is, and this is not from Christians who are scientists, this is coming from secular scientists, that the genes all lead us back to believe that there was a... One man and one woman that started off everything, not just a whole bunch of people. And, and I think the text itself excludes this from being a figurative idea because not only does it, does it have this cool story of the creation of God forming from the dust man, but then it's got all the boring stuff in it too. You know all that stuff that you're like, okay, is he gonna read the whole chapter? You know that stuff? The the here's the four rivers. You you, you guys know the river Gahon and the, the river Pishon and oh that's where the gold is good, and, and we're like, I don't care, right? Well, that stuff, and I don't wanna say that I don't care about God's word, because I do care, but I you know what I'm talking about. So for those who are literalists, I, I do care. Uh, but those things in and of course we, we don't know where Gahon and and Pishon is anymore. We, we Obviously the Tigris and the Euphrates River, we have those if they were the same rivers back then, we, we don't know. But those rivers and the detail that the author of Genesis gives us is saying that this is a literal place. This isn't something figurative. The Garden of Eden isn't just a fairy tale for us to go, oh, that sounds really beautiful, and nice, but it's not real. No, we have all these details in the story that go, oh, wait. This is like serious. This is real. God really did form man out of the dust of the earth. And God really did put him in the Garden of Eden. And notice what God does when he puts him in the Garden of Eden. He, he, he puts him in the Garden of Eden. And it says a couple things I want to point out to you. It says that out of the ground he, he caused every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food to be there in the Garden of Eden. Sounds like a good place. And then verse 15 says, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Isn't that amazing? We were not created to sit on a beach all day long. We were not created to sit on the couch and binge on Netflix all day long. We were created with a purpose in mind. From the moment that God formed man, he had a purpose for man. And that purpose included work. Paradise is not absence, absent of work. So get that thought out of your idea. In fact, I believe in the new heavens and the new earth, when all things are done, and, you know, of course, we finish Revelation. I believe we're going to get to serve God for eternity. So those of you guys that are like, wait a minute, so eternity, we're just kind of sitting around waving, In the choir? No, I don't think the Bible teaches that at all. I mean, we're going to be worshiping God for eternity, but I I think we're going to be serving him, and and he's going to have some new job for us to do in eternity. That seems to be what Revelation tells us in the book of Revelation. But here God has created us with purpose. It is so wrong to think that our purpose is just to eat, sleep, drink. Or eat, drink, sleep, or eat, watch Netflix, sleep. Don't don't t- buy into that idea. In fact, the Book of Proverbs has a lot to say about being a sluggard. Proverbs thirteen four says, "The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied." Do you realize that laziness, lack of purpose, actually? To me, I believe that, and obviously the Word talks about this, but I believe we can see it. The lack of purpose, I think, is one of the biggest contributors to depression. The lack of being involved and serving and working. Because we know that when we get depressed, when we're down, what's the last thing we want to do? Get out of bed. The thing we want to do most is sleep all day thing we want to do most is watch a movie or stay focused on other things, and their purpose goes away. <laughs> purpose and, and, and our goals and everything like that just begins to leave. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. Notice that, that the sluggard will crave, his soul will crave out for purpose, but get Nothing. I've worked with a lot of individuals over my time in ministry so far, and I'm sure I'll work with a lot more, but some of the ones that have been the hardest to work with is those who have taught themselves to be sluggards, those who have made it, uh, got into the habit and the sickness of being a sluggard, And, and, and when they start coming to you and they talk to you about their depression, their suicidal thoughts, and all these other things, and you say, so what do you do all day? Nothing. It's like, you need to go get a job. Oh, I don't want that job. I don't want that job. Man, they are craving for life. They are craving for something, for some purpose, but their laziness just keeps, keeps them locked up. Proverbs 26, 16 says, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven m- men who can answer sensibly. I've noticed that too. And I work with people who don't have jobs, don't contribute, don't, aren't living for the Lord, I've noticed that they'll come and they'll have all these problems and they'll come to you and they'll say, I just want to know what God wants for me. And I'm like, he wants you to go get a job. Well, that doesn't sound very biblical. Oh, it's really biblical. <laughs> and it's very practical too. But, but they'll say, well, no, I'm just not sure that's from the Lord. And then they're going to go to somebody else and say, well, what do you think the Lord wants? He wants you to go get a job. Well, you know, I'm not sure. I'm going to hold out from a word from the Lord. and, And they'll go through seven sensible people and still think they're wiser in their own eyes. That's what laziness does to us. Interesting that here the purpose of man, as he puts him in the garden to keep it and to work it, we also see that he's doing it unto the Lord. That's the other aspect of a healthy life is that we're not doing it just for us or to acquire things. See, when we, can, when we start working to acquire things, now it's about us and we're working for us. But if we're working into the Lord, that's a whole new purpose in life. Then we can do anything. I, I uh, you know, uh, I, I've been in a lot of situations, especially with youth group and stuff that's like not fun and stuff that's fun and and I'm always trying to figure out how to make a not-fun situation fun, like when, when cars break down or w- whatever happens. <laughs> Ben's laughing because there's been a numerous times on trips where his van's come back on a flatbed tow truck. Uh, <laughs> but but, but it's always, there's always some sort of hardship or whatever, but one of the things I've found about it is, man, when I'm doing it for the Lord, it's like, God, this is like not what I planned. But it's for you, so you take it. You do something. I'll be faithful in, in the situation, but you do something cool with this. And I've been amazed at how God answers my prayer time and time again because it's unto him. And, and, and I think that whether you're working as a pastor or in a secular job, the very same thing is true for you. You can work unto the Lord. Whether you're working in an accounting department or whatever it is, you can work unto the Lord and give it to Him, and you're going to find a new level of blessing. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It, the, the interesting thing about this passage when Paul is speaking in Colossians is he's actually talking to those who are in bondage, bond servants. He, he's giving advice to those, well, first he talks to the married couples, but not to be confused with the bond servants, okay, everyone? <laughs> I love you, honey. <laughs> so, no, anyway, uh, he talks to the married couples, then he goes to the, those who are in bondage, And he says, this is what I want your attitude to be, work unto the Lord. Now, if anyone has something to complain about work, it's those who are found in slavery of some kind. And by the way, this is not God endorsing slavery. In fact, the Bible really doesn't endorse slavery at all. In fact, it it does the very opposite. But the fact is, is men are evil. And when we see God's creation, we see he created two free individuals It's men's evil that brings slavery into the world. And here Paul is talking to to people who find themselves as bond servants. And he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Man, if that can be our attitude, God, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be a faithful employee. I'm going to be the best employee ever for you, not for me. This is unto you. And, you know, if you're a student, I'm going to be one of the best students in my class. And, by the way, good students do not go missed by their teachers. I'll tell you that right now. My wife is a teacher, and she'll always talk about some of the kids she has. And, like, they're a really good kid. Man, they're a pleasure to have in class. And I know that when you work with students who are pleasures, you just love having them around. They inspire you to be a better teacher. Ephesians 4.28 actually says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Interesting how Christ takes us when we're found in sin and we, we come to him and we realize, like, wait a minute, I can't steal anymore. Now here's the new purpose. Start working unto the Lord, and that way you'll now have something to contribute and give, give to others, that's a totally different purpose. You know, we were talking about our food pantry earlier. And, hey, if you have a few extra bucks, you know, pick up something extra at the store and deposit in the food pantry. It's that whole idea that I'm, I'm using what I work for for God's good, not for me. It's not all about me anymore. It's for your purpose. So we see that the first thing we see here in, the, in this creation account of man is that God puts the man in the garden and gives him a purpose Second thing I want to talk about is marriage. Boy, this is going to be controversial. And, and you know, maybe if you're a lazy person, that was really controversial for you. Um, and, uh, and here's what I just want to say before we get into this subject, because marriage is such a hot topic nowadays. It shouldn't be. It should be something that's a blessing, but now it's a stressful topic to bring up. Um, but when God's Word convicts, don't get offended by it. Be motivated by it. That means when God convicts us, when God shows us we have a wrong attitude or we're doing something wrong, like the thief stealing, don't be, well, I want to go steal. (laughs) Who are you to tell me that I shouldn't steal any longer, but I should go get a job? Well, it's the Lord God. And God instructs us, convicts us, so that we can move on towards freedom and have a life and have it abundantly. So when we come to the topic of marriage, understand that's the same. And marriage today has come under fire. We know that. The d- whole definition of marriage has changed. And, and um, right away I know where this is going to go, your thoughts. But please hear me out as we talk about the subject of marriage. First of all, I want you to realize that marriage has been established and is authored by God. He is the one who has created this institution. And I don't even like calling it an institution. He's the one who has instituted the covenant. I think that's a better way to talk about marriage. That God has instituted this covenant of marriage. Notice wh- how he does this, first of all. Man is in the garden. And God says, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, I don't think this is an afterthought at all. Because look at the wisdom of God. God brings before man every animal. And man sees every animal, including dogs. And man says, There's no helper fit for me. There's no one like me here. So man's best friend isn't supposed to be a dog, okay? <laughs> Just so we're clear. So he, God brings before him all the animals, and there's no helper fit for him. And in God's wisdom, he makes sure that man understands that I'm going to create somebody very special for you. Someone who is like you and completes you. And so there he causes man to fall into a deep sleep. And out of his rib he creates Eve. And the amazing thing is, is as as Adam sees Eve, he says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. And the Hebrew, there's kind of a little play on words there because man is ish and woman is ishah. And so bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called Isha, because she was taken out of Ish. It's kind of a little bit poetic there. But recognizing that God has created the perfect helpmate for man. Now, we have to look at the observations here. And I want to do this fairly. First of all, there's no animal that takes the place of woman in man's life. There's no animal. The other thing is, is God doesn't create woman to be the servant of man. It's like, you know what? You need somebody to go grab your beer. Here, I'm going to create a woman. No, that's not, the, that's not the way it works. No, he creates a helper suitable, someone to come alongside. The word helper in Hebrew is really the, the person who comes alongside that teammate, that one who comes alongside and completes, not subjected to. And uh, I, I've, I've shared this poem before at weddings, or not poem, but this idea that man didn't create Eve out of God's head to be above him or out of his feet to be subjected below him, but out of his rib to be dear to his heart and protected by him. It's a, it's a, it's a cute little saying. And I think there's a lot, of, a, a lot we can learn from that that no question about it, God wanted Adam to know that this woman was to be cared for, protected. Lifted up, guarded, and, and, and when man does that, and woman comes alongside man, you have a good thing going. In fact, when we get to the fall and sin coming into the world uh, into the world, one of the things I'm going to point out to you is that it says that she took of the fruit and ate it, and then gave some to her husband who was there with her, the first failure of man to protect in the garden was also the first time that, wom- that woman was tempted and sent into the world. Men, those of you who are married, protect your wives. You're supposed to be protectors. What do I mean by protect? Well, I mean, clearly, Eve wasn't being threatened by a wild animal. She <laughs> She's being tempted to, do, to allow s- false teaching into her mind. She was being tempted to, to buy into lies. Adam was there watching, going, yeah, I wonder if the... You know, when God says, don't eat of this fruit, you'll surely die. I wonder if Adam was like, okay, I'm going to see if she dies. You know, I don't know, it might have been. It's pretty terrible. But we'll get to that next next time. So Adam, uh, Eve is created out of Adam and knows this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, so what about same-sex marriage? Um, first of all, I just want to make sure I'm clear. I'm not going to talk about gay marriage because I don't believe there's anything such thing as gay marriage. I think it's same-sex marriage that we're talking about. In the Bible, there's no room for same-sex marriage. There's no room for it. God says here, I've created marriage. This is what, what constitutes marriage. It's a man and a woman. It's, there's, God will not ever except same-sex marriage. And you can say, well, that's not really fair. What about love? Man, you know, don't they deserve to be in love too, those who are homosexuals? Don't they deserve to be loved? And absolutely, they deserve to be loved. But, but God will never tolerate homosexual sin. I'm not talking about thinking. We're talking about homosexual acts. He's not going to do it. God says it's, it's not okay. It's sinful. It's an abomination, and I know it's not popular today, and I know some of you guys are going, well, duh. maybe inside you're starting to boil, but hear me out for a moment. God created them man and woman. Man and woman are given the, uh, this covenant of marriage. Now, does that mean we go out and we, we are cruel or beat up homosexuals? Absolutely not. Remember when we talk about love, don't they deserve to have love too? Listen. God does want them to be loved. But love is, (laughs) happiness is not always found in marriage. And if it were so, why do so many marriages fail? If happiness is found in marriage, wouldn't we not have the divorce rate we have? Why is it that people are getting married so they can be happy, but all they end up is in ruin and owing? Money for the rest of their life or until somebody gets remarried and miserable and full of hatred towards that spouse that they were marrying to be happy. See, happiness isn't found in marriage. I think, I think you can have happiness in marriage but ultimately happiness is gonna be found in holiness. It's gonna be the byproduct of your holiness as you're holy, as you do what honors the Lord. Let me, th- let me explain what I mean by this. Jesus said, when he was asked about divorce, Jesus said this. He said, the, um, so they are no longer one, but two flesh. or But uh, no longer, uh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Sorry. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus gave us this, this very clear idea of what God thinks of marriage, that, that the two are becoming one flesh and there should be no wedge between them. See, marriages don't go well because people allow wedges to come in. They start not finding, they, they begin not serving their spouse or they start looking at other people's spouses or they start looking at other people outside of their covenant and this wedge begins to develop. Or maybe, maybe they've, they start not trusting their spouse. They, oh, we don't, I don't want to join my bank account with her because, or him because I, I can't trust him. I don't know how he's going to spend. That's a wedge. All you're doing is going to just keep creating a wedge between your marriage well, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm good in case I ever divorce. Are you kidding? You know, they, they talk about, when, when I played sports, it was always about, like, if you set out to lose, if you think you might lose, you're going to lose. If you have an attitude that, hey, in case this marriage doesn't work out, I've got to save something, you, you might as well be just starting out with a wedge in your marriage. You're driving a wedge because what you're telling your spouse is, I don't trust you. I don't think I can really commit everything to you. Maybe I'll commit a little bit to you, but not at all. Just in case you hurt me someday. You're already doing damage in your marriage. Not being truthful. It's just creating a wedge in your marriage. God says, let not man separate. Bind into the world's philosophies. Hey, let's spice up this marriage a little bit. Let's bring a third party in. Yuck. And some STDs. You know... You don't need to look to the world and bring those wedges into your marriage. God has set apart the marriage. He says it's holy. The man and the woman shall leave their father and mother and cleave together and become one flesh, united, soul, spirit, body, and no one should separate. The word divorce in the New Testament is the same word for tearing apart of the flesh. That's what divorce does to it. It tears us apart. So here in Genesis, we have marriage given by God. And, of course, in Ephesians later on, we see that this mystery is profound, speaking about marriage. And, G- and Paul tells us it's an, a, a model. It refers to Christ in the church. Interesting. Does your marriage reflect Christ in his church? Have you thought about that? Does your marriage reflect Christ in the church? Maybe you're, a spou- you're married and you're, like, looking at your spouse and, uh, and uh, you know, I think about this all the time. Am I reflecting Christ to my spouse? Am I reflecting that, that same union between the way Christ loves his church and the way the church is to love Christ and be set apart to him alone? That's what your marriage should, And I'll tell you right now, if you set out to do marriage that way, you're going to be blessed. Yeah, there's things you're not going to take part in. There's things that you're going to say no to. Because those things will only ultimately drive a wedge into your marriage. Third thing I wanted to talk about tonight was freedom. Freedom. Notice here in the Garden of Eden, we see man the freest he could ever be. Amazing that Thomas Jefferson wrote in the beginning of the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Man, I get chills every time I read that. The Declaration of Independence is so awesome. That, that Thomas Jefferson, as he's writing this, the guy who owned a lot of slaves... Starts thinking about their reasons, why they're okay with, with declaring their independence from a tyrant king thousands of miles away. And as he's considering this, he comes to this idea that, you know, it's self-evident. That, that we've been created equal. That we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The only way you're going to see that is if you go to Genesis 1, that we're created in the image of God. And when we start seeing people created in the image of God, we should start seeing them different. Especially when we start thinking about the lengths that God has gone to to redeem people in this world. That he's willing to step out of heaven, to sacrifice himself on that cross, to pay the price for your sin and my sin So that you and I can have a relationship, be restored to him. God loves the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have life everlasting. God loves the people of this world. So much so he died for them. Thomas Jefferson, realizing this as he pins those words, he starts coming into a crisis about his own slave ownership. And actually, if you read the first Declaration of Independence, the one submitted, the rough draft submitted to Continental Congress, there were some appendix, uh, uh, appendixes added onto it that were um, saying, hey, we've got to get rid of slavery, we've got we've to do this. And, and, of course, Continental Congress at the time was not brave enough to deal with that unfortunately and sadly it led for years and years of continual slavery in the United States until finally Abraham Lincoln was forced to deal with it but right there at Continental Congress they had an argument about slavery because if we're going to adopt this idea that we are created in the image of God that we have been given these rights these rights as free people how can we own slaves? You know, here in the Garden of Eden, we see Adam free. We see Eve free. Not only do we see them walking with their Lord, in fact, there's an awesome passage in chapter 3, which we'll get into next week, where it says God is walking in the cool of the the, the garden, he's just kind of walking in the garden, and it was like an expected thing that Adam and Eve would meet with the Lord and hang out with him and have this fellowship with him, and you know, of course, in Revelation, it says God's dwelling will now be with men at the end in the new heavens and the new earth. God starts dwelling with men, and, and we're going to be able to see the, the restored, <laughs> the redeemed new heavens and new earth the way it should have been, um, and of course, in a, in a much better place, but we see man is free to choose. He's given choices. He, he can choose anything he wants. He, there, there's no bondage at all. There's no slavery in the Garden of Eden. There's no infidelity in the Garden of Eden. There's no lies in the Garden of Eden because there's nothing to lie about. There's, there's no lust. There's no desire or covetousness. None of that is in the Garden of Eden. And you know what? It's paradise. It's paradise. I'll tell you right now, if you want to know freedom, freedom is walking with your God. Freedom is living in holiness. When we begin to live holy lives, we're going to find ourselves set free. And sadly, the unbelieving world looks at the Christian and goes, oh, those Ten Commandments. And it's, oh, you're you're, you're judging me or you're narrowing down. But you don't understand that all these things that God says don't do, if you just put your name in there, you'll see. All these things that God says are sinful are things that destroy our lives and hold us captive. Thou shall not murder. Man, I really wanted to murder my neighbor. Where am I going to end up if I murder? A murderer in jail, on on death row, depending on the state I'm in. (laughs) If you're in Texas, electric chair, right? Yeah, that's not going to lead towards life. It's not going to lead towards goodness in my life. It's going to lead towards imprisonment. And death. Thou shalt not steal. Man, why is he telling me I shouldn't steal? I'll tell you right now, if you put your name in there, he said, Thou shalt not steal from Dave, or Thou shalt not steal from Brian. We're like, Yeah, that's a good idea. Don't steal from me because I don't like that. That's not good. I I work hard and I bought that, and don't steal. Right? That makes sense. Thou shalt not murder Dave. I, I like that idea. That's a good idea. Thou shalt not commit adultery with Dave's wife. I like that idea. That's a good law. I'm all for that. See, when we put ourselves into those laws, we go, this is good. These Ten Commandments aren't things that narrow my life, that restrict my life. These are things that are going to bless me and give me a good life and a good life in my community. That's what we have to look at when we pursue holiness. We're going to find goodness And the good life. And here, Adam and Eve, holy, right with God, without sin. And I love the fact that it it talks about their nakedness. It's a strange idea. They were both naked and were not ashamed. It's a really strange idea. In fact, they don't realize they're naked until they, they sin. And it's at that point when they sin that God kills an animal and makes covering for them. And we have the sacrifice Uh, cycle started in Genesis but there's no death no sacrifice yet man is free things are good man's at peace with his environment more more important peace with his God and then when we see sin happen we see that they're ashamed of their nakedness (laughs) you know some people aren't ashamed of their nakedness and they should be uh, I remember. I'll never forget being in San Francisco with uh, our youth group. We were on this road trip odyssey thing, and we we got off a streetcar, and we we get off the streetcar, and I turn to the left. I was the first one off the streetcar. I turn to the left, and I see these two guys naked as could be. And, uh, actually, sorry, it was three guys and they had some signs that are holding up and I'm seeing them all like, what? And okay, now Dave, being the spiritual man he is, went and shared that, no, that's not what happened. I wanted to go kick him in the goods. (laughs) Like I, I really wanted to just rip him. I just got angry right away. And then I was like, okay, no. But what I, did, <laughs> what I did was I was like, before the kids even saw anything, I'm like, hey, guys, we're going this way. <laughs> Come on, keep coming, keep coming. And I'm like, like trying to distract them and stuff so the kids didn't see it. Thankfully, nobody saw anything. But I was just imagining how that would go over explained to their parents. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they should have been ashamed of their nakedness because what they were doing, they were, all they were doing was perf- promoting their sinfulness. But, you know, when the Scripture talks about nakedness, it's more about our, our position before God. When God sees us naked and laid bare before Him, the idea is that all of our sin, all of our unholiness, all those things in us that are not equal to God are laid bare before Him. And we are find, found lacking lacking completely the bible has a lot to say about how when god christ redeemed us he takes us and he puts a new robe on us a white robe pure and spotless we're clothed in his righteousness and no longer left to our nakedness if we want to be free we've got to know jesus christ i am. Um, Read this uh, article from Time Magazine, we get time at the house, and 240 reasons to celebrate America right now. So I was like, okay, I need some reasons this year. So, (laughs) um, and uh, there was something really interesting in this. Uh, There were nine things to fix right now about America, and um, I was kind of bummed because I was thinking, like, they're going to say, like, you know, we really got to repent and come back to the Lord. That wasn't found here. Uh, but, But they did bring up really important things like raising minimum wage. Oh, uh, here's one. Let's uh, get rid of all assault weapons. Uh, and, And the sad part about it was when they talked about getting rid of all assault weapons, they said, there are thousands of deranged people dressing up in camo and marching around the woods, blasting away with automatic rifles, rehearsing for a showdown with the FBI. More people are going to get hurt. Let them use water pistols. And I was like, "Wow, that's not even a fair assessment of what's going on." It's so like, <laughs> it was like, have you ever been out on a hike and ran into deranged people running around the woods with their automatic weapons?" This never happened. Now, by the way, I'm a I'm a pro gun guy, um, but if you're not a pro gun person, it's okay. I love you too. Um, <laughs> you can come to my house when things go bad. I'll take you in. So I'm just kidding. Uh, but sadly, there is nothing here about fixing our sin issue, our unholiness. There's nothing about quit coveting after your neighbor's items, quit committing adultery, nothing about that. But, oh, it did say this, the California drought is God's way of telling us we can't have beautiful lawns and golf courses and raise vast almond, avocado, and orange crops in a desert. Learn to love the desert. Yeah, that, that's, they're, they'll speak on behalf of God for that. What a bummer. But the one thing I did like in this article, and it's something I think you should consider, number 46 reason for celebrating America was actually found in Queens, New York. It, 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 in Queens, New York, it says, one city block holds the entire world. That, uh, and, and what they found is that the ratio of foreign-born reaches the perfect balance of one-to-one. Now, I thought about this, and I thought, you know, Uh, Of course, we don't live in in Queens, but we do live in a place that really is reaching the world. (laughs) The fear of becoming the missionary and being, God, you know, man, if I I really devote myself to the Lord, he might send me off into some nowhere Africa and I'm going to have to talk to people. God took care of it. He brought the world to you. You look around this room, and we have many different ethnic groups. We have a whole Chilean contingent in the back row there. Uh, <laughs> we've got Koreans, Japanese. We, we've got everybody, in the, or a lot of different people in this room. And in the city of Orange, there's so many different ethnic groups. Hispanic, there's Cuban. There, I mean, you can just go on and on. I bet there's some groups in the city of Orange that I don't even know are here. Filipino, we can use our freedom to share the gospel with these people, to, to send back missionaries to those cultures. Last week we had George Saeed here sharing about how to witness to Muslims. We can use our freedom to share the gospel with Muslims and reach the Muslim world. And you don't even have to leave your city. It's an incredible thing. Or we can use our freedom to set ourselves back into bondage. That's always an option. It was Adam and Eve's uh, option. They could sin and go back into bondage or go into bondage, I should say. God gave them the choice. He said, don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's your choice. You can be free or you can become enslaved. You can be free and live or you can die. Galatians tells us, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Sadly, I see Christians submitting to the yoke of slavery. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, I love going to church, but I don't read my Bible. And I buy into every world philosophy out there. Facebook convinced me to leave this or to do that. For freedom, Christ has set you free. For freedom he has purchased you back from the bondage of sin and slavery. It's your choice if you're going to choose to live as a free man or go back to becoming a slave. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor everyone the emperor or president. That's, that's the instruction from Peter to the Christian church. Don't use your freedom to cover up evil. Don't use your freedom to convince people to do evil. Don't use your freedom to do evil things. This is the challenge. If you don't like what's going on in this world, if you get upset and you, you, you don't like how things are going... Well, start using your freedom for advancing the gospel. Start using your freedom for living the gospel. Start using your freedom to be free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our freedom. We thank you, Lord, that your plan of redemption to purchase us back on that cross would would never be thwarted. Lord, we thank you that you've set us free We thank you, dear God, that you've set us free to be free. Never again to put on that bondage of slavery, that yoke of slavery. Lord Jesus, as we come to your table to have communion with you, Lord, we just want to praise you for freedom. In you, we understand what true freedom is. In you, we understand what it means to, to honor our neighbor, to love our neighbor. Lord, you set the example for us. We thank you. Those of you in here tonight who are getting ready to take part in the Lord's table, I want to encourage you to just repent of any sin that you have brought with you. Any yoke of slavery that you've become in bondage to, Lord, ask the Lord to, to remove that. Repent of it. Turn from it. If you've allowed a wedge into your marriage, repent of that. Do it with your spouse. And come to his table and be a part of him. He wants to have fellowship with you. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That's what this table represents. You eating with Jesus and him with you. Taking part, remembering his death and resurrection. And of course, his second coming.